Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're what listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Cast. Welcome to a special live recording of the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Tim Burrows. And I'm Vivian Kelly. So today we remember what was for a time one of the world's most exciting communications agencies. Naked Communications shook up how the marketing world thought about media planning. Now, in Australia, Naked was founded by Matt Baxter, Adam Ferrier and Mike Wilson, and it became one of the most talked about agencies in the country. And as Mike told me when Naked's closure was announced last month, even the fuck-ups were spectacular. So for the first time in many years, please welcome to one stage, Matt, Adam and Mike. So to kick things off, how did you three come together? Should I do that? Yeah, why don't you do that? So, um... I'll do it if you like. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it's just like holding... I knew the guys in the UK who founded the original office of Naked in London, um, who were having quite a lot of success around the year 2000. They'd launched, I think, Amsterdam and Oslo um, quickly after the successful London launch, um, one of the three founders was married to an Australian and um, he had ambitions to one day retire in Australia. So he thought a good way to doing that was to actually launch an office in Australia and see if they could replicate the success. At the time, I was working for a WPP media agency. I'd done some projects with Adam, who was working for a WPP-owned branding agency. And Matt and I were in discussions about potentially working together yeah. as well. And it all sort of coalesced at around the same time. And what do you think? Um, what, what, what do you think they were they were looking for? Because they obviously went for a trio. What what were the characters or the skills or the personality sets they were they were looking to to do? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, don't know. <laughs> I, I <laughs> Matt. I I I think in a kind of weird way. I don't think they set out to replicate their own personalities, but in a kind of subconscious way, I think they did. I think you got kind of Will was a lot like Adam. No, uh, this is Will Collin. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think um, John Wilkins had a lot of uh, Mike's traits in the sense, very good client handler, very very personable. And then you know, I, I guess the slightly crazy side of John maybe manifested in me a little bit. So I think that they they kind of, I think they tried to replicate some of that chemistry at a, at a more boring functional level. I think they also wanted to replicate uh, joining up. Uh, historical media thinking and creative strategy together as well. So I, I, I remember when I first started writing about Naked in the, in the UK, which would have been about the time you were launching here in Australia, it was, the buzz phrase for a while was media neutrality. I can't remember the last time anyone mentioned that. Is I it agree. still a thing? That's because it was 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it's still a thing. I think I still hear media agnostic or uh, kind of. I think I, I still kind of hear it around as as a thought. But I think we've almost kind of. It feels like the the, the issues of a media industry have been more fundamental, and the kind of the lack of transparency and the hoodwinking has become. There's, there's even bigger issues to deal with than media neutrality, I think, which have kind of usurped the conversation over the last few years. And I think there was so much noise at the time around media neutrality, which we, you know, we, we were involved in, that very quickly lots of the other 
media agencies in particular brought that into their planning models and their systems. And I think it's a given now that clients expect neutral advice, albeit it's wrapped with lots of other issues and challenges in the industry. But it would be a pretty weird media agency now who said they weren't media neutral and that they were completely driven by their own vested interests, which of course was the whole thing that Naked was set up to challenge. And is that what made Naked special, the idea of media neutrality, or was it something else? I, I, I think, for me, the thing that made Naked special was it said the things that nobody had ever been willing to say before. And so, you know, in a market like Australia and the same in the UK, back when Naked opened, the TV networks were so still so dominant and nobody ever really kind of ever shot any kind of shots across the TV bow. And the Naked founders in the UK, I think, were some of the first senior people in the market that actually started to challenge the kind of set and forget mindset of everything just goes automatically onto television or everything can be solved with paid media. And so I think that independent voice, and for me, it was almost less about the neutrality of the structure and more about the neutrality of the voice and actually not being seen to be in the pockets of the media, which most of the big holding companies were. I, I, also, I, I also don't know if the whole conversation around media neutrality has also felt like I think back in the day we'd it was, a, it was quite a fresh brand. It felt like it was avant-garde. It felt like it was promising a new way of doing things. And I think lots of people bought into that through various different windows. Some people bought through it through meeting neutrality, but there's lots of other windows as well. And I think people just wanted something different, something that busted the mould, something that promised some fresh thinking. And I think because that was the incoming, because that was the brand that was set up like that, then that became what clients wanted and then we were able to fulfil that and then it became kind of just a fresh thinking, cool-ish kind of thing. And remember, I mean, the reason... <laughs> I'm getting very elo- eloquent here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 20 years ago, three guys got up and walked out of an agency in London, three smart guys, the guys we've talked about, and they did that because they were fed up being given predetermined media plans that they had to go and fulfil that weren't in their client's best interest. And the model in Australia is very similarly structured to the UK. So when we started telling that story, it resonated really, really quickly with clients. And it's funny because I spent so many times explaining to other agency people what the naked model was, and they never quite got it. But the moment you explained it to a client, they got it in a split split second. So it was a really, really appealing model. Um, The other other part, which I think is relevant to this challenging the the TV network automatic um, choice, was the day we launched, I got a phone call. And that phone call was from Harold Mitchell. And in many ways, he represents the traditional media buying power. But um, I'll never forget it. He rang me that morning and wished us luck and said it was good that there was somebody independent challenging the market. And you know, even though we came from opposite ends of the, the spectrum in terms of our strategic positioning as an agency, I think you know, that, was, that was a really great moment. And, and uh, he, was yeah, the only, he was the only media, client, media agency who became our client as well. Yeah. So he employed us to do uh, strategic thinking. And then yeah. jointly we won, I think, Vic... The government yeah. with, with him, with us, him retaining our services, which is interesting. And maybe before we sort of dive into the legacy a bit more, I don't know if this is an elephant in the room. We need to kind of just get on the table now. Two of you now work for big media agencies, yeah. Yeah. global agencies. Yeah. Um, are you okay with that? Like, would, 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 would the, would, yeah. would, would, would huh? the, would no. the door kickers of 10 years ago be okay with that? One of them was saying earlier to me that they're really enjoying it. It's just that their soul has been destroyed. 
I don't know if that's appropriate. <laughs> well, I think it's fair to say, it's fair to say that I, I, I definitely am working for a big global media network. But Matt, Matt's now working for his third global media network since that's he left. True. Since he that's left true. Naked. I am. Um, um, and and the, the sort of semi-serious answer is, I was really nervous about joining a, a global multinational after leaving uh, Naked because I'd spent ten years contributing to the Naked story, which flew in the face of the, the multinational. So the multinational that I joined needed to have a really compelling, engaging story about where they were going and what they're doing. And I believed, and I still believe, that the Havas group has that story, and it's part to do with their commitment to content and their, um, the connection with the Vivendi group, which, all of which is very interesting. But if you want to hear some really, really cool stuff about that tomorrow, come to Imogen and Greg James's session tomorrow, where they'll be talking to you all about meaningful media, which is... Good promotion. Very good. And, and, and my apologies. Told you I was going to do that. That's all right. <laughs> and, and my apologies to anyone listening to the Mumbrella cast because it will be irrelevant. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Matt, to, to, to Mike's yeah. point. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'd be lying if I didn't say there aren't frustrating moments in the network still. I mean, networks are networks. You know, they're big kind of monolithic behemoth organisations and it can be difficult to affect change in networks. But I also think that that's the opportunity. I mean... Um, Naked set uh, a foundation and, a, and an ambition, I think, in the market um, that the, the big networks still are pursuing and chasing today, right, which is to be more nimble, to be uh, more creative, to be more risk-taking in the way that they operate. And so in many respects, I kind of feel like Naked was the training ground to go into networks and to be able to get networks to understand that there actually are better ways of doing business and that actually objectivity and neutrality isn't just like vacuous language, that when it's done well, it can actually grow the business. And I think networks, some of them arguably still don't get it, but I think networks are starting to realize, hey, geez, no, no shit. If you act in the client's best interest over the long term, maybe not in the short term, over the long term, you'll make more money. And if you don't, in the short term, you might make money, but in the long term, you get fired. And so... I think, in a way, that's the challenge. Is I, I enjoy that, is trying to convert people in the network to thinking a little differently about how they engage with clients. And, guys, one of the other things that made Naked famous or special, as, aside from the media neutrality and aside to, from some of the very famous campaigns you did, which we'll come to in a moment, was the Naked Parties. So... <laughs> It wouldn't escape anyone's attention that I'm the only female on stage at the moment. Do you think you could get away with some of the behaviour you engaged with at the naked parties back in the day in 2019? I think that's a great question for Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I don't actually. Um, You know, hindsight and changing culture is always a tough thing you know you're sitting here in 2019 and you reflect back on things that happened earlier in your career and you think wow you know like what were we thinking or how did those things happen I mean I remember at our first party we had the naked circus it was at um what was that bar in sorry the Gaelic club you know and and you know I, I reflect back on that and I think oh my god you know if you ran that today you just you just couldn't no and so um there was naked people having their pubic hair painted and, and so forth. And, and, you know, to talk about it now just seems incredibly... Uh, inappropriate. Inappropriate. Yeah. Um, as, but isn't that interesting? Like, it's just... 
Um, yeah, but so, we so, so this, <laughs> but we so the simple answer is no. But if we were starting the agency now, we wouldn't do that now. No, we, exactly. We did things that cut through and got talked about. And obviously you're talking about culture. And I just want to circle back to an earlier question, which was what made Naked special? And I know this is a, a quite a predictable thing to say. But the thing that really made it special, along with all of the theory that we've talked about, was that half of the room. It was the people that we hired. It was our recruitment. Our recruitment was sensational. And you just need to look Speaking at... your naked culture. Oh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> Members of the naked staff won't be surprised that Adam had an idea with about 60 seconds before we started, which, which for cocktails to be served onto the, uh, the stage, thank you. which, um, which you our go. marvellous events team made go. happen. So, thank uh, you. So thank you. Very thank much. you. Cheers to, to Naked. Yeah, cheers. Very good fun, and thank you all yes. for being along. Cheers. 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 To, to, to finish my point, it's not just that we hired great, fun people. We hired the smartest people in the industry. And if you look at what they've gone on to do, they all had stellar careers. And, you know, there's people in the room, there's people I work with who were naked colleagues who are now clients. Yep. And I know that's the case for, for Adam and yep. Matt as well. And I think I've got four or five previous naked clients who are current clients. So the, the circus keeps rolling and people uh, you know, experienced that and contributed to it and are now going on to do great things. So that's probably the thing I'm most proud about. Yeah, and I reckon with the parties as well, I reckon they are an exemplar of a kind of quite a liberated uh, brand and quite a liberated working environment. And I reckon there is something to be said for freedom of thought, creativity, creating a culture that anything can happen at an ideas or a work level but that can also manifest itself into uh, careers or into parties or whatever. Just, just encouraging kind of a little bit of chaos and a little bit of uh, fun is, is really, really important. And I think it's a really hard balance for many in the creative industries to balance that with kind of being totally cognizant of everybody's rights and values and not... Um, and so forth. The last industry party that got talked about in this market happened four years ago, and the reason it got talked about was because the agency in question, a woman, came out of a cake. So for all of the reasons we talked about earlier as being challenging, and that was the last party that really got talked about. That was like four years ago. It was part of our DNA. It was, you know, we celebrated our successes. Our clients were as much involved in it. It wasn't just the staff enjoying it. There was a, there's more, as many embarrassing stories about our clients' behaviour in those parties as there is about, about the staff. You're just sounding defensive now, Mike. I was looking at Ian. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, Mike has, has, has talked about where some of the people have ended up. Maybe it's actually worth talking about a, a few individuals and what they've gone on to do. We'll stop. You've got a couple of clients, don't you? Uh, well, we've got there's um, well, there's some we we I work with now. There's about forty naked people in the room. Yeah. We can't talk about. No, it. We should clarify those oh, listening cool. at so, home. They're former colleagues of. They're not naked people in no. the room. <laughs> <laughs> you do keep saying there's all these naked people in the room, and I just worry what people might be picturing at home. It's the magic of <laughs> so, so, so what I have discovered is ex naked people make fantastic clients because I think they understand. We're similar, speaking on the same page, which is fantastic. They also make really good colleagues in new places because you, you kind of get each other. Um, and then globally, you know, I think the the naked you, you do see people like popping up um, in really kind of big jobs. So the global chief strategy officer of Publicis and the global chief strategy officer of Ogilvy are both uh, are both ex naked people, and um, 
you know, there's fewer others lurking around. I'm a bit nervous to call out individuals because I know I'll forget people and I'll feel like I'm doing them a disservice. But in my own organisation, Imogen Hewitt, the managing director of Havas Sydney, and doing a sensational job, was B&T's Woman of the Year and Strategy Person of the Year um, last year. Matt Holtham, who ran the Naked Melbourne business and then ran Naked New York, runs our Melbourne business here, is doing a phenomenal job. And, of course, there's so many alumni around the place. Ian Perrin's doing a sensational job with his own business. John's been, John Halpin's been managing partner, Paul Swan. All the people that we work with in the formative years at Naked are all leading industry lights. And, and um, you know, apologies to people I've left out, but there are clients in the room as well who are Naked colleagues, and, and that was, that's a wonderful thing to see as well. Let's, um, let's talk about some of the defining campaigns. Um, that really summed up naked. Um, Matt, share a Coke became globally famous. Yeah. Well, you guys know more. I, I didn't really touch the, the, the Coke account that much, so I'm not going to take any credit for that. That was Mike and yeah. Adam yeah, and Emo. That was your client, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, one of the things I like about share a Coke and something that's very naked but people don't talk about. And remember, not everybody will be familiar yeah. with Jericho. So yeah. essentially it was the campaign that resu- resulted in people's names being put on cans and then the whole campaign was around socialisation of that. So you'd share a Coke with somebody whose name was on that can and they became collectibles. Um, and we won, we, won, we won at can for that. But the point I was going to make is it was very naked but not in the way that people often think in that it was a highly, highly collaborative campaign with other agencies. So actually, the idea to put the name on the can wasn't a naked idea. It was an Ogilvy idea. But the way it was structured to make to deal with the challenge of socialisation, so rather than it being your name on the can, it was somebody else's and you would then share it, and then the whole ecosystem and media system that came from that, that came out of the, you know, the, the naked um, Coca-Cola team. And also in partnership with Icon, because that needed a lot of detailed implementation. So something that doesn't get talked about a lot is the fact that we were actually really good collaborators, even though other agencies often used to have a pop at us and said we were cutting their lunch. But that was, that was a good example. And um, I will never stand up and say it was all naked's work, but we played a, an important role in it. And what about the Heidi and the man in the jacket campaign? It is something Good that old Heidi. That I actually recall just reading about that in the in the media uh, because obviously it, it caused a storm. But for anyone who's not familiar with that campaign, talk us through it from the beginning and and as a consumer, what people that journey would have been. Do you want to talk about the mechanic and then I'll follow up with reflection? Um, the, cool. The reason why we're here. That all here today is because uh, it made the Mumbrella brand this this particular <laughs> campaign. We'll get onto in a second. That might, there is some truth. Yeah, there is there is, is. truth to it. Um, and so th- this campaign revolved a lady who pretended to lose her to meet a guy in a cafe. The guy in the cafe left his jacket there, and she went online in a quest to find this man's jacket that happened to be from a particular clothing company. And then the whole thing was obviously fabricated. There was no; it was all set up. It was all orchestrated. There was no love story. Um, and so then uh, that was the premise of the idea, which is a lovely idea. So um, basically, what happened is that our orders got mixed up. So I went over to his table to swap them back, and and we got talking, um, and. Yeah, he's he's wonderful. 
He's um, smart and funny and, you know, we had this connection um, that I can't really explain. But, and I don't even know his name, but yeah, he's gorgeous and, oh, and he left his jacket behind, see, uh, yeah, he left his jacket behind so that's why I've got it, like, he left it there so I, I picked it up for him because I thought I could maybe give it back to him and that's what I'm doing now. And then it all turned to shit. <laughs> <laughs> so Adam, would you say that it went viral before people worked out that it was oh, a setup? Yeah, Absolutely. It, all, it, all yeah. Be, it all got disclosed before we were ready for it to be, become disclosed. And then it was, uh, instead of being managed with um, a felt glove, it was managed with a boxing glove. So Matt, what yeah. was the fallout boxing of this glove. boxing um, glove? Well, I was the boxing glove, <laughs> <laughs> which often is the case. Um, I mean, look, you, you know, I've I reflected when you wrote that piece in your end-of-the-week newsletter, Tim, and you wrote what I thought was a really fair summary of the history of Naked and the legacy that, that it left, um, and you reflected on witchery, and obviously I did at the same time. You know, I, I, when I look back on it now, I feel like, you know, at the time it felt like such a big thing and so risky, and now you look at some of the campaigns that go on in the world, and you're like, wow, this is kind of like it's crazy that this created the storm that it created. Mm. Only what? How many years ago was that? Seven, six, seven, seven or six seven, years ago? Seven. And it was when social media was finding its voice. Yeah, and so, and, and, was- and so I think we were kind of trailblazing a little bit in that and we you know, were collateral damage in experimentation that, you know, we were making this up as we went along. I mean, this is the thing about naked you know, one of the one of the massive challenges of being in the business was a lot of the things we were doing had never been done before and there were no playbooks for us to run by. I mean, we were just making things. I mean, when that inbound call came in from a journalist about is this thing a campaign or not, I mean, literally in the moment we're deciding how are we gonna how are we gonna respond to that, right? And um hindsight's always twenty twenty. <laughs> Uh, at the time when you're in the thick of it and you're, you're, you're trying something, you just go, what are we going to do? And, I mean, literally, it's the bunch of us in the office going, I guess we just say no and just see where it goes, right? And that's the kind of stuff that got us into trouble. Um, but, you know, again, to, to the point that I made, that shaped the brand and made us who we were. And I, and I think to some extent, to, to Mike's earlier comment about the fuck-ups, uh, Naked was defined as much by its successes but also by its fuck-ups. They were in equal measure, which I think to an extent made us special, that we were human and we did fuck things up. And um, I wish more marketers were willing to do that now, to uh, be uh, honest. Another fuck-up was the launch of um, Coke Zero. <laughs> and so Coke Zero ended we'll come up... back to Coke Zero, but let's <laughs> oh. just stick with Heidi for a moment. Yeah, yeah Matt, so obviously... <laughs> we can come to your many, many fuck-ups in a moment, Adam, but just to, to stick with Heidi for, for a moment, you're talking about, uh, Matt, the, the blow-up and the yep. blow-back as yep. a result, which is obviously the media finding out that it was a setup and it wasn't yep. a real love story and then consumers feeling betrayed that they'd invested emotionally in this and journalists and the media outlets being very unhappy that they've run stories yep. that are wildly inaccurate. Yep. How did you want that to go? So we can see how it did go, but what was we did, ha, we, how should the revelation have panned out? I mean, who knows? I mean, I, you know, I, mean, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, we didn't know how it was going to go. And, 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 and that's, that was the point I was trying to make earlier. I, I think we didn't have this intricate, multi 
pathway planning of a, B, C, D, all the way through to Z. We didn't. We, 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 were, we were operating in a more organic and a more test and learn in, the real, in real time type of way, right? And, you know, to, to challenge that just a little bit, Vivian, I think, I don't think consumers really were that pissed off, right? The journalists were pissed off. And, and we made the media seem stupid by reporting something that was fake. They didn't do their fact-checking as aggressively as they maybe should have. This, this particular model was featured in witchery advertising, Okay, so, you know, I think we embarrassed a couple of journalists, which exacerbated our problem, and they went really hard as a result and felt a little bit upset by that, and we paid the price, right? And so, I I think consumers, I don't think consumers are all sitting like, oh, my God, I've been tricked and fooled, I feel so bad. I think they just went, oh, that was a bit cheeky. I think it was more how we treated the journalist community and the media that got us into trouble there. We and are running fragile their names. creatures. Pardon? I said we are fragile creatures. No, no, no. But, uh, you know, we, we, we poked the bear a little bit, right? We ran, the, we ran the thank you ad with the names of journalists. And in retrospect, that probably wasn't the best thing to do. Um, I can remember Mike saying, I don't you know, know why Matt has just put a stick into a pool of taipans. <laughs> I can remember that quote. But, you know, so those kinds of way. things, I think, Vivian, were the things that really kind of – went beyond the pale a little bit and kind of got us into more trouble than maybe we should. I remember, remember it. Michael, come back to you in a so second. You're looking Let at me it just through a lens from 2019. Yeah. 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 There was yeah. no yeah. such thing as a social media manager then. No, no, no. There I were, mean, there were no community there managers or... Whereas now that would all be managed and structured. So yeah. to, to, to Matt's point on, on the thank you ad, which was listing those journalists who'd been thought, looking back now, it feels like there was a very short time between that ad running and you leaving naked. Yep. Were, were those two things linked? No. Why did no. you leave? I got I, fired. <laughs> I, I think in our own in our own way, uh, we all got fired. <laughs> and uh, and I and I reckon I reckon it's a really I, I'm really proud of I'm I'm really proud of the fact that I can remember Mike getting booted and, and Matt getting booted and myself getting booted and um, and I and I I like that because as the as it became more and more sucked into a an organisation that I don't think quite knew what it had. So this is when you were bought by Photon. This is after we were born by Photon. So some years after, as it kind of merged into as Photon, Photon as a holding company. This might be very boring for everyone. One of the things we liked about it, it was run by a, quite a maverick kind of organisation. We found like there was a maverick at a corporate level that fitted the maverick at a brand level. This and was we thought that years. was a good fit. Yeah. And then um, and then that management structure got replaced. And then as it kind of got replaced, I think it didn't quite know what to do with the brand, although, um, you know, I think that the brand has been very, very strong up until last week. And I don't want to be one of those podcasts that says we'll come back to something and then we don't. So, Adam, you had something to talk about with another fuck-up in terms of Coke Zero. Oh, just the same kind of thing. Coke Zero, which became the most, which was the most successful FMCG launch in Australia's history. But um, when we started, we started with a thing called the Zero Movement where we pretended there was this guy who wanted to start up a thing called the Zero Movement. We created a website. And when we created the website, it had a link back to either... Back to Coke, yeah, and so we, so you know that's even just thinking through these really kind of anyway we we fucked that up and so and then got kind of PR'd about about that, but it was just, you know and these kind of multi tentacled kind of campaigns that we're trying to do, uh, you know, being kind of bleeding edge. There's always kind of these little. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think Coke Zero was a fuck up. I no, think, I, I mean, think there was a couple of keyboard warriors who had 
strong opinions. They're kind of the four, yeah, four I, I, runners of I'm today. I'm just going to test someone who wasn't right about the industry. Yeah. Do you understand what went wrong based on Adam's explanation? Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, basically, it was <laughs> meant to be matter. an unbranded yeah. website. Yeah. But when we registered the website address under the who is capability of an IP check, yeah. it was registered to the Coca-Cola company. So this entire unbranded tease, yeah. anyone could just do a search on who was behind the sign. It's the Coca-Cola company. So the entire reveal of the brand was ruined. And, and so that basic, that basic <laughs> component Thank was you. overlooked by us. <laughs> well, let's, um, before we, we <laughs> talk a bit more about... Just most- like old times. <laughs> And it was the most successful launch of Coke it in, was. The, in the history. It was. It was huge success. <laughs> Before, let, let's just talk about one more campaign, um, which, which I think, you know, for me, as a journalist writing about it, really summed up the excitement yeah. of being a journalist writing about it, which was still Banksy. Yeah. Like, I just remember how much I enjoyed yeah. writing about that. Um, so maybe sort of set up for those, those who don't remember Steel Banksy, tell us about that campaign. So Steel Banksy was set up as a campaign for the Art Series Hotels. It was the first of many campaigns they've done since, which have been really successful for the brand. And it invited people to come and stay the night and steal the art. So if you could steal a Banksy piece of art and get away with it, you got to keep the art. If you got caught, you um, had to embarrassingly give the piece of artwork back and go back to bed. And, uh, and quite a lot of people tried to steal the art, uh, and they kind of said, you know, go back. And then somebody actually fabricated being from, uh, naked and ended up actually stealing the art, which created a lot of publicity. And they were from a rival agency. And they were from a rival agency. And then, uh, we were able to then, we had a spare. We had th- thought that through. We had a spare, not so valuable piece of Banksy, which we put up for the rest of the campaign. But the thing I love about this campaign is, um, I can remember when we got the brief and we just uh, wrote a concise email with the uh, brief and one particular person responded. So it was an all-staff email. One person responded, still Banksy. He may, they, he may have even said, stay the night, still the art is his line, and then a little blurb. And that response came back within about an hour or two of sending the email. And what I loved about that was the creative culture. I put that down to the culture of the agency of just being out, just really, really firing and somebody just knowing straight away what a, what a cool idea that was. So if you were putting together a Naked Now, Naked 2.0, Tim flagged in his article that he thinks, you know, there could be a Naked 2.0, how would it look? Where would you start? We'll start with you, Matt. Um, <laughs> uh Look, I think there's a need for a Naked 2.0 probably more today than there, there's ever been. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that, num- that Mike was talking about earlier around trust with clients and, and some of the transparency issues that agencies are struggling to, to, to wrestle with. I think actually having an independent arbiter that can give objective advice free from some of the, the relationships that are just inherent in the big networks, I think is something that a lot of clients are probably looking for. The complexity of doing a naked today is you need a data capability to provide that objectivity, which with it comes huge expense and operating setup costs. You know, when we set up naked in Australia, we set it up with 150 grand of of capital seeding investment. We got a shitty office, which you guys will remember, owned by a guy called Matt Leporis. 
who's like the landlord that owns a third of Surrey Hills, but they're the most dilapidated third of Surrey Hills. You know, all uneven floorboards and, you know, toilets that don't have faucets and all that type of stuff. Um, and we, we rented an office. We put up some cool kind of kitsch wallpaper and some chandeliers and a couple of desks, started a phone line and an internet service, and we were naked. Today, if you tried to do that, you'd have to have so much capability to provide that object, that objectivity in terms of data subscriptions and technology and platforms that your seeding capital would need to be huge. And so, in a way, that's the one thing that I think is a real barrier is you have to be bankrolled to do a naked 2.0 today at a rate that just wouldn't be from a group of entrepreneurs on the street just with an idea and a dream to do something, it would have to be a really serious play. And so that limits, I think, the, you know, the type of people and organizations that would do that, in oh, my view. I, yeah, I, can't, I definitely agree with Matt. I reckon there's two places it can come from. I think most of the holding companies at the moment are probably what you'd describe as dumb holding companies. Like you wouldn't ever go to a holding company to get a solution. You'd go to one of the brands within the holding company. If a holding company itself had the smarts and intelligence and was involved in solving problems, then it could work at that level. Uh, or the consultancies uh, have got the, the power, um, the size, the, frankly, you know, the money and the data to help, um, help do it. And so... I think any of the consultancies could step into this space. I reckon uh, PwC, um, who own uh, a bit of uh, my our agency, Thinkabel, uh, are, are on that path. With CMO's advisory, is kind of setting it up, and you know, and Russell Howcroft, who drives that, was on the board of Enero for for a while as well. So I reckon any of the consultancies could step further into that place. I think you see CMO advisory kind of. Doing that a bit. I just wonder though whether the consultants are like disruptive. I mean, you know, Disrupt, yeah, disruptive maybe, maybe enough. The like, you know, they're all right. a bit no, no. kind of the bland. Tone, the you know. tone is, yeah. It, it, you need that kind of slightly agitating spirit in there. So you need the smarts and the and the 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 data and and the the scale. But you need that kind of willingness to kind of buck the trend and speak out and and be an agitator, which was what made Naked so successful. And the problem is the consultants don't like putting their head above the parapet. Like they're all pretty shy to go out and say things because they've got clients everywhere, right? You go out and say something bad about a holding company if you're a consultant and guess what? You do their audit. Or you do so they don't wanna they don't want to criticize things, right? They don't really want to be famous for agitation because they've got vested interests themselves in all these other things. So I, th- I don't know if a holding comp- – sorry, if a management consultant could really pull it off. So, Adam you – know? oh, sorry. Adam, you don't think of Thinkabell as a naked 2.0? No, absolutely not. Um, it's a completely different business model and um, uh, no. So, why didn't you try to replicate it? Because it's a great brand but the business struggled when everybody else lifted their game and, yeah. and media agencies started to take strategy seriously. Um, it, it, it crunched the opportunity for the market and so the brand was always much bigger than the business. Um, I can remember when Photon actually bought it, they were ecstatic at how little they paid which <laughs> uh, because it felt like such a much bigger business than it was, which is fucking unreal, which is what we're in the business of doing. Is what, that's what Building marketing brands, and brands right? is all about. And so I'm you know, very proud of that. We'll come, we'll come back to Photon, who became an arrow yeah. in a minute. Just Mike, I just want to get your thoughts on the, the 2.0 thought first so, of all. 
you couldn't do a naked now like we did it then. The product and the offer is best described by the spiel that the consultants are currently using. So neutral advice, right? work all the way through the line. But of course, they are selling their own products. And as Matt says, there's a lot of conflict of interest. Um, and what the consultants don't have is they don't have the DNA and the personality. And just coming, coming back to a, a line we used to use about the people we hired, which is called Brilliant Misfits. And this is about people who are highly accomplished practitioners who work in organisations, but they know there's a better way to do things that they're currently constricted from doing. And what you need to do is you need to marry those two things. You need to have all of that capability and the ability to service all of clients' needs and help them deliver their business goals, but what that lacks is that spirit, which comes from people wanting to break things, do things for the first time, try things out, and inevitably fuck things up on the way. Well, we do actually have the opportunity for audience questions. If anyone does have any, we do have a roving mic to come to you. Uh, I can see a question at the back. Uh, can you please identify yourself for the people at home and then ask your question? Hello, it's Carl Ratcliffe here. Um, I've just got here as well. Let's uh, you late. Um, brilliant Misfits, which one of you is the best Brilliant Misfit? I don't really think any single person was... I think it was the combination of our personalities that made it work and, you know, Mike's steady hand and statesman-like <laughs> approach when I was a complete maniac, um, Adam's intelligence no. and slightly mad science approach to things. I, I'll never forget... Can I tell the Sony story? Yeah. Um, I'll never forget the first uh, real meeting the three of us went to was a pitch for Sony PlayStation. Tom Hull was the group account director at uh, TBWA. And um, lovely guy, and he invited us in to this opportunity, and we're sitting down there with Michael Efron, uh, who's the MD of Sony Computer Entertainment. We, we thought, Mike and I thought we were having a great meeting um, until we got to talking about hardcore gaming audiences. And Adam decided to chip in at that point and say that Michael Efron's audience... My, my, background, is from, <laughs> my background is from forensic psychology, right. spending a lot of time in the prison system, so a lot of the analogies I draw... He and, draws on are exactly those, uh, right? But, but it was funny, so is, I'm going to finish the story. There's yeah, no. your face right now. <laughs> so, so, so he said, you know, the, he goes, the hardcore gaming community is a lot like the, uh, some of the uh, people I used to deal with in the prison system, pedophiles. Because they, they're, all, they're all sharing information amongst themselves, but it never gets out to a broader audience. And it was a kind of, it was a mad science analogy, right? But it was such a weird analogy to bring into a business meeting talking about computer gaming. And Mike and I, I just remember sitting there, just, we, you looked at me and I looked at you. And, we, and then Adam was like kind of in the moment, because that's what Adam does. And then we walk out, and Adam goes, that went great. <laughs> Mike and I just went, yeah, okay. And we didn't win. Yeah. Um, but um, but, but those, were, those were the kinds of moments. And so Adam brought that kind of crazy, you know, analytical, out-of-media reference um, yeah. stuff, and that was part of the, the magic of it, you know? And so it's a, it's a good team, obviously. And then when you couple that with uh, the early slightly larger team of John Halpin, Imogen Hewitt, Paul Swan and so forth and, and, and more and more and more. But it's a fucking good bench of really smart, interesting, creative people. So, Carl, you're a, you're a big music fan, aren't you? So you'll have watched Spinal Tap lots yes, of I times. Yes, I have. So you know the scene where Derek Smalls, the bass player, 
I asked him, they asked, what's, he, what's he like? He said, well, I'm between these two. He's fire and he's ice, so I'm kind of like lukewarm water. And uh, that's kind of how I see it a little bit. I'm the Derek Smalls of the spinal team. probably have time for one or maybe two questions, if, uh, two more questions, if anyone would like. I can see. Oh, maybe you're just adjusting your glasses, actually, but I do see a hand over there, if you wouldn't mind getting the microphone across there. If you want to tell us who you are and where you are, and then after that, there's a hand at the front as well. What bit of magic are you worried might be lost with naked going that we could uh, try to keep alive in how we live? That's a great question. question. Um, Well, the first thing I want to say is it's a long time since all of us left naked, and naked has been doing some great stuff since under the brilliant leadership of Tim, who is a classic, brilliant misfit. And I was so happy to see that they've been shortlisted at Cannes today for their uh, sons for the Get A campaign. And Tim, I, I, I can't tell you how much I hope, because I know you're going, that you're up on stage collecting that award, because that'll be the most fitting epitaph to the Naked Story. <laughs> Which brings me to point... Agency leaders have got to be better at focusing on their people and not just getting seduced by what's new and what's shiny. It's been digital for the last 10 years, chasing tools. We've got to invest more time, energy, effort and depth in the relationships with our people and setting them up to be the best they can be. And I look at the agency I'm with now and I've got some really super young talent and I already know in that group who are the, who are the MDs of the future and that's what I see my job as being now. And whether it's in a naked style, that's not right. It needs to be in the style of the organisations that we all now represent. But I think, I think the industry has lost that focus on championing their great talent. It's the most important thing. I, I, I would say uh, it's so creativity. Was, uh, the bar has lifted for creativity internally within corporate culture overall. And so in agency side, the, the, the promise has to be at some level to be as creative, if not more so, than your client. Yeah. And so I felt like, I feel like that's the big challenge for, for agencies in general, whether it's na- naked or not, is to be able to have a, a full culture of being creatively driven and being able to drive that. Um, so I reckon that's a kind of a massive challenge. For me, it's bravery. I just don't think there's very much bravery left. And for me, Naked was always a beacon of bravery, even when it got it wrong. Um, and I just, I look around the market now and I look for, and you know, I include ourselves in this, I'm constantly pushing for our business to be more brave. There's just not many brave agencies left. And, and that's a real shame. And I, and I hope somebody steps back in and fills that role here and around the world. I think there was another question towards the front. A uh, question for you, gentlemen. Um, as a disruptor brand, was Naked always set to burn bright and then fade away? Like, could it have ever really had longevity in the nature of it being such a disruptor to the, the entire industry? Um, I, I would say I was speaking. I had a chat with um, the uh, up until a couple of days ago, the current uh, boss of Naked, and um, the, the the current boss of Naked was telling me that um, the merger that was happening was really kind of difficult to deal with because Naked was always had a degree of adversarialness against the whole industry, and I thought, fuck, that's cool. It was so nice to hear. 
Um, and so I reckon there is something that gets into the culture of an organisation that could stay forever. But if that culture is not is owned by people who don't understand what that's about, then then they don't understand. Well, in just in general, like if you if you've got something you don't quite understand how it works, and it's destined to fail, but it's not. To, so you're to, not pointing the finger at an arrow. No, but to John's question, it's about. Um, it's, no, there's nothing destined about it destined to fail over overall because the proposition was very strong. It just needed to it just needs to stay in the right hands or or stay independent. Uh, I do want to end on a high note, uh, but before we move on, just we've talked a lot about hindsight and what was inappropriate and what was appropriate, and some things have been said today on other stages that we've been called out on. So I would like to acknowledge that. The uh, pedophile joke was definitely not Mumbrella endorsing jokes of that nature. Just for the listeners at home, I, I want to be clear that that, that's, that was an anecdote of something that happened in the moment, but I do just for anyone at home that doesn't think that that brand of humour should have existed at all, I do want to say that we, we acknowledge that and, and sort of make, make that clear. That thanks, it, thanks for putting that out there. It's good. It, it was a story and it happened and I'm glad that you shared it. But, I, you know, sitting here and I, I sort of do resent having to be the, the woman in radio who says now, now, boys, but did just, did just want to, to say that but didn't want to end on that note. So what I do want to end on is before we get kicked off the stage so that everyone can go to drinks is what are you most sad about with Naked no longer existing? What will you really miss about your time at that agency? And we'll start with you, Matt. I, I just think that fierce, independent and brave spirit. And I just hope that the industry continues to have uh, an agitator in the market that continue to play that role. That's what I think I miss the most. And Adam? Um, I was always happy just to be gamefully employed. <laughs> and I always thought that would do, like earning a paycheck. And so to be able to step into a work every day in a vibe that I thought, fuck, I belong here. Uh, I love that, but I actually feel like I've got that again. So, Mike? Not that sad about it at all because all of that thinking, that talent is now out in the market. I'm still very connected with a lot of those people from that time and will be for many, many years to come. And that spirit will uh, infuse, suffuse the rest of the industry and that's a really great thing. Well, that, it, that is where we will have to leave this week's Mumbrella Cast. As ever, please do remember to give us a rating on your podcatching platform of choice. For now, though, please thank Matt, Mike and Adam. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you.